It's your coach, Coach Cam. We talking hoops, baby. We talking hoops. Uh-huh. Coach Cam on the podcast, we talking hoops. Don't you leave them open, don't you know that coach can shoot? We talking hoops all day, that's what we do. That's NBA, D1 to D2, AAU, D3, G League, overseas, highlights, offers, transfers that want to leave. We talking hoops, that's every week. With Coach Cam dropping gems for the hoop fiends. Uh, and to my fans with the hoop dreams. Stay shooting, stay hooping. Buckle up for this ride, that's what you need to do. Cause this is Coach Cam and we talking hoops. Kid, kid, we talking hoops. It's your coach that knows hoops the most. It's Coach Cam, we talking hoops, baby. This is episode 13, so fresh and so clean. Shout out to my outcast listeners. And we back for another week. This week we're going to talk the Peach Jam. We're going to talk some travel hoops. We're going to talk the NBA free agency, of course, some duos. Flame 5 College Prospects, and I'm going to give you a new addition to my Flame 5. We're going to talk about some Flame 5 College Duos, Michigan edition. I'm going to talk about some, some Michigan duos that played in college that, that I particularly like. But we're going to start off with travel basketball. This past weekend, you had the Peace Jam in Atlanta. You had a lot of uh, travel basketball popping off because it was a live period. The last live period that Division One coaches could go to and see AAU teams. They have uh, camps going on the next two weeks. But, yeah, you had the Peace Jam jumping off in Atlanta. You had the UAA Rise, which is the Under Armour. That was also in Atlanta. You had the Adidas Summer Championships in Birmingham, Alabama. You had uh, Ballin' Under One Roof in Kentucky, and you also had the NY2LA in Milwaukee. So if you weren't at one of those five events, I, don't, I'm, I really don't know what you were doing. And really, if you weren't down south, I don't know what you were doing. You, you should have at least been at the Adidas Summer Championships or the Nike EYBL Peach Jam if you had the opportunity to play on one of those two or three circuits. But I'm going to start off with Adidas. Because uh, that's the tournament my team went to. And very impressed. Very impressed with what Adidas did in Birmingham, Alabama. The event took place at the Hoover Sports Complex. And in this complex, you had 11 gyms. Not just 11 courts. Sometimes you have courts that aren't, aren't regulation size. And these, this actual complex had 11 regulation courts with one main court in the middle. And in the middle... You had stands on both sides of the baseline, and you had coaches lined up from baseline to baseline, and on the opposite side, you had the bench. So it was a really good look. They had a shot clock, 30-second shot clock for all 17U games. I like that. Uh, it gave a different pace to the game, and it made it so you can't just hold the ball and, and play zone. And You have to actually play basketball with a 30-second shot clock. Would like to have seen it at all levels, but you can't. makes the game longer, so I know you can't do it at all levels. But... Very impressed with what Adidas did. Some high-level players were in the event. Some high-level teams were in the event. The, the moment I got there, the very first game I was watching, I was watching David West uh, coach his AAU team. I think the name of the team is Mass Rivals. I, I could be mistaken. or I forget the name of his team. Uh, but he was coaching. David West played at Xavier and played 12 or 13 years in the NBA. And they were playing the Atlanta Celtics. And, man, I, I'm talking about... The Atlanta Celtics had three guards who I'm looking at. I'm like, man, they 
they can't stop these guys from getting to the rim. And then you look them up, and then you look at, you know, two of them are four stars, and one of them is close to being a five star. And you can tell because those guys are really, really good. And as I'm watching the game, I say, oh, there's Travis Steele, head coach at Xavier, watching uh, former alumni coaches AAU team. And if you're a smart head coach, you know where your alumni are coaching high school and AAU, and you make sure you go support. Uh, hoping that you have support from alumni. I just, I know when I'm coaching there at certain schools, I don't want to see it in my game. So that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, I was very impressed with the event. High level players, high level teams. And the, the, the one thing that I really liked is that there weren't a whole lot of bad teams. So even though they had an open division and anybody could pay the goal, there were a lot, the, the level of parity was really good. So the teams that you were playing, you weren't playing any games that you're going to win by the way they were set up, at least for us, for the Reach Legends program, it was set up for us where we're going to play some good competition. Then there wasn't one game that we played where the competition wasn't uh, comparable to other tournaments that we've played at. And that's what you want for your travel team, AAU team. I'm trying to say travel. I'm just going to say AAU, man. I'm just going to say AAU. Everybody else is. People don't really want to pick up the ball on that one. Uh, but for my AAU team, the competition level was good, and our guys got shown what they need to do to get better. I mean, we lost our first three games probably by a combined 10 points. One game we lost by, I want to say, by two, two or three, and we had five possessions with the ball down two under 90 seconds to go. So those are the situations where you really learn how to be a player. And in an environment like this, you have to get exposed to that. You don't learn how to be a player beating everybody by 30 or losing to everybody by 30. You learn from those one or two possession games, and you say, you go back to your high school team and say, oh, yeah, I remember this in the summer when we was playing with Adidas. We, we had an opportunity to win the game, and we didn't. And, and those are the situations that people don't really gravitate and get from AAU. They think AAU is just some roll-the-ball-out organization, and people aren't organized, and don't, they don't play a high-level basketball and have high-level IQs. That is wrong. That is wrong. Okay, of course, they're the programs that aren't doing what they need to be doing. But the vast majority of AU programs now are doing good things for good people. And they have good coaches and they're getting uh, players exposure like they need to be. So stop bashing AU. I'm going to start there. Stop bashing AU because AU ain't the problem. The bad guys is the problem. But we're going to talk about that at another conversation. So uh, the Dina Summer Championship was a really good look. It was a really good look. My team went one and three. We lost our first three games. And on the last last game, we played a team from Cali called Handle Life. And I'm not for sure if you're uh, on the Handle Life movement, uh, but the guy, he works out, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, all the pros out west, he works them out. And he puts them through dribble workouts. We're playing his team. And on his team, he had the game, son. And we're playing. And like, man, this guy looks like the game. And come to find out it was his son. It looks just like him in the face. We beat him at the buzzer by two. A nice little floater by Blake, Go Blake Goodman, plays at Novi Christian. Um, was able to get that win for us so we could get home with at least one win. Uh, but my team struggled a little bit. Uh, the 16, the other 16 of you team, the main Adidas team, they played really well. Brody Parker played really well. Julian Lewis and Parker Day, they were solid. They had a solid showing. Uh, Mason Docks talked about Mason Docks last week. He had a good showing in the tournament for the Reach Legends program. 
Uh, the 17 and under was up and down. The 17 numbers up and down. Guards really couldn't make the shots that they needed to make. Tyson Acuff was solid. Uh, Dejan Humphrey's shot was okay. He did good attacking, attacking the basket. Jay Sean Moore's shot wasn't there. Uh, so the 17, you struggle a little bit because you can't make shots. And at the highest level, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if you want to be a high-level college basketball player and you're a guard, you have to be able to make shots. Now, I know you're playing against different teams, playing in a tournament you're not normally used to playing in. I get it. The ball is different. The courts are different. I get it. But you have to be able to adjust, and you have to be able to say, okay, well, if my shot isn't falling, what are other things that I can do to still help my team win? So th that's the adjustment some guards have to make at the highest level is what you going to do when you ain't making your shots. Are you going to be a high-level defender? Are you going to be a high-level rebounder? Are you going to stop the best player on the other team? Are you going to front the post if you're big? Like, what are you going to do when your shot isn't falling? And that's really the kind of stuff scouts look at. They know you can score. They know you can play. But they want to evaluate you on a bad day. Because if you're, if, if you're, if they still like you on a bad day, you're going to get that offer. That's how they think. That's how they think. The coaches, the college coaches think, well, if I saw him on a bad day and I still, you know, like his game and think that he can add to my roster, then, hey, we're going to offer him. We want to give him the opportunity to give him a scholarship. So you got to be able to make shots, guards. That's at all levels. The highest level to the lowest level. Guards, you got to be able to make shots. But uh, that's just – the Reach was reach Legends program was the only Michigan team down in Alabama, Birmingham. If you were a smart college coach, you had the opportunity to see both uh, the Nike Peach Jam and the Adidas Summer Championships because they were two hours apart. Uh, why, why wouldn't you want to be around all those coaches? Because there are a lot of coaches at Adidas Summer Championships who did both. There were some D2 coaches down there that, that even though they were in close proximity – they would rather drive to that than to catch a flight or to drive to Milwaukee to where the NY2LA was. So very impressed with the Adidas Summer Championships. Very good event. The only thing that I think that they can adjust or change in the future is they got to get somebody on social media to really pump it up. Because, I mean, the, the venue was really good. The games were really good. You had high-level players. I watched Kyrie Walker, who was a five-star play for Dream Vision. That was really good. But you got to pump it up. Now, that's one thing that the Peach Jam and Nike does. They put on a great event and they pump it up on social media and they get people involved. And while we're talking about the Nike Peach Jam, that is the end all be all. You want to be playing on that stage. The best players play on that stage. And if you perform on that stage, you will be rewarded. So those Nike teams that were able to go to the Peach Jam because you have to qualify. Not every Nike team gets the opportunity to play at the Peach Jam. You have to qualify for the Peach Jam. And those teams that qualify for the Peach Jam, if you show up on that stage, people are going to take care of you, which means the college coaches are going to take care of you and they're going to offer you. If you don't perform on that stage, then you will have questions about your recruiting. And this summer, the Nike Peach Jam was a hit. It was a hit, just like it is every summer. I haven't had the opportunity to go because I've either been coaching college or coaching AAU at the same time as Peach Jam. And I was at a college where we couldn't afford to go to Peach Jam because you talk about three to $500 per coach and you have to purchase a packet. So just going to Peach Jam is going to cost your staff $1,000 at least. And we haven't talked about eating food or getting a room or getting a car or none of that. Talk about $1,000 just to sit in the stands and watch some games. 
And I was smart enough to know that it ain't a whole lot of these guys playing in our league. So it makes no sense for us to go to the Nike Peace Jam. But, you know, that's just my recruiting piece for the week. And the Peace Jam was where it's at. You had a couple Midwest teams playing. The family was playing. Uh, they had a good showing for the first couple games. They didn't advance in the playoffs because you have to elite. Once you, once you lose, you're pretty much done after your first couple of games. Uh, I think they were able to win a game or two but they weren't able to advance to the Sweet 16 or Elite 8. Uh, you have the Spice Indy Heat. Uh, they have a guard, Nigel Pack, that plays at Lawrence North, I believe. Really good, high-level prospect. Uh, damn near average a triple-double. Kid can play. I saw him as a sophomore, and the first thing that I thought was, this guy can start on our team right now as a sophomore. This kid was really, really good. Uh, so look out for him in the near future because he can play. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to cover more teams than just Michigan teams. Um... Because we're talking basketball. Basketball is global. It's worldwide. It's nationwide. And I'm going to talk about more than just Michigan basketball sometimes because some, there's some things that you need to know. And the one thing that you really need to know about the Nike Peace Jam, I'm going to give you a player to put on your radar that's probably going to be on your television real soon, Jalen Green. Jalen Green plays for Why Not, Team Why Not. Team Why Not played in the championship game against Smoking Elite. But in the semifinals, this young man had 20 points in the fourth quarter and hit the game winner. I mean, 6-7 wing, can put it on the floor, create his own shot. I mean, he's a high-level player. He's one of those guys that's going to be going to Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, a blue blood. He's going he's to go to one of those schools, and he's going to show out, and then he's going to be a top five, top ten draft pick, and you'll be like, man, I didn't I didn't know that Jalen Green kid was that good. Yeah, he's that good. He's good. So pay attention to him. Uh, but the team that won it was Mokin Elite team from Missouri in Kansas, Mokin Elite. Um, and they had a guy named uh, Adaly, Adili, I think his name. He was the most valuable player. Uh, 6'9", just beast. He's just a beast. And he beasted his guys all the way to the Peace Jam Championship. And the Peace Jam is very unique because the gyms aren't very big, but it's packed. And you got people sitting on top of people. You got coaches sitting on top of coaches. We got Bill Self sitting next to Roy Williams, sitting next to Tom Izzo, sitting next to uh, Coach K, and sitting next to Calipari. I mean, you got the top of the top coaches right there, right in your lap. And all you got to do is perform on this stage. All you got to do is perform, and you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded for doing so. But the one thing I like about Peace Jam, even though I haven't had the opportunity to go, is that you get that high school rivalry vibe. Like, even when you look at the highlights, like, I watched some of the guys' highlights from this past weekend, and it's just, it's amplified. You know, it feels like a rivalry game. It feels like you want to, you know, guys are really competing and getting after it because that's just the environment that they built. And like I said, the, the Peace Jam has done a great job at promoting you know? that environment that makes you want to be there. So hopefully I have the opportunity to to, to go in the future. But we'll see. Uh, and shout out to Mokin Elite for getting the championship. Now, other tournaments that were going on besides the Nike and the Adidas. You had the UAA Rise, which also happens, happened in Atlanta. Uh, One Nation played in that. Uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure they did pretty well. Uh, I know they didn't win it or anything, but they did pretty well. Uh, you also had the Ball It Under One Roof event in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was kind of a, a local feel to it. Uh, you still had some teams playing there that could play. You probably got some coaches who didn't want to drive all the way to Atlanta, a lot of Division II or lower-level coaches. 
had an opportunity to play in Louisville. But I'm going to tell you where they did not go. They did not go to Milwaukee. They didn't go. And if they did, the college coaches told me, I talked to a few D3 and NAIA coaches who went to the NY2LA in Milwaukee, and they told me there was a great event for them. They loved it. It's like, man, I love this event. And why would you think that? Because they were recruiting or evaluating players that are going to play at their level. They weren't evaluating Division I kids. And even some D2s had no business being at the NY2LA. If you really wanted some high-level players, if you offered anybody on the Adidas circuit in the Midwest, you, you, should, you should have been in Alabama. And that's just my take. That's just what I think. But there were no coaches. There were no coaches in NY2LA. So if you had a, a, a mid-major to a high-major prospect and you were looking for him to turn the corner and play in front of some high-major coaches, you didn't get that opportunity in Milwaukee. So the playmakers, they won the whole thing. They won the whole thing. They won the platinum championship. Shout out to the playmakers. But the only disagreement, I won't say disagreement, but my only issue with them playing in the NY2LA is there was no coaches there. So a guy like Wendell Green, if, you, if, you're, if he's trying to be a high major player, he didn't get the opportunity to play in front of high major coaches. Now, there may have been a few coaches there, but from my intel and my sources that are telling me that the Division I coaches, the high major Division I coaches, were not in Milwaukee. And that's what you want to do in this period. You want to give your team the opportunity to play in front of the highest level that they can play at. But if you have a team full of guys that's going to play in the GLIAC, yeah, that's great. Go to the Y2LA, the whole GLIAC is going to be Northern Michigan, uh, Lake State, you name it. Northwood, you name it. They're going to be there. But if you think you have some guys that could be playing at a high major level or Division One basketball, you've got no business being at that tournament. No business. You should have been in Alabama. You should have been in Georgia if you had the opportunity to. At the least been at the UAA Rise event. I know they had an open division. You should have at least been in that. But shouldn't have been in Milwaukee. The coaches didn't go to Milwaukee. And the ones that did were D3 and NAIA coaches, and that's cool. If you got those kind of players, that's cool. And the reason why we went to Alabama was because the drive between Alabama and Atlanta was two hours. Matter of fact, we flew into Atlanta, rented vans, and drove to Alabama. You want to know how many coaches did that? A lot. I talked to quite a few coaches that flew into Atlanta, watched the Peach Jam for a day or two, and then drove to Alabama and evaluated the Adidas event. There were a lot of coaches at the Adidas event, and there were a lot of coaches at the Nike event, but there were not a lot of coaches in Milwaukee. So uh, shouts out to the Playmakers for uh, doing the best thing for their program and actually winning the, the, the Platinum Division uh, in that tournament. Um, shouts out to them. Wendell Green Jr. is still putting on the show. Uh, Omar Ziegler Jr. is still putting on the show. It, it, so high majors, low majors, even though you didn't get a chance to go to Milwaukee, go see the, the playmakers, all right? Send your, your D2 guy that you're cool with and, and send them to Grand Rapids this weekend for the brawl for ball. Send them there. Because, uh, see, that's the one thing that a lot of coaches don't know. A lot of coaches don't know that even though the D1s aren't there, they're there. They are there. They're getting their intel from the guys that are there. So they're calling the Division Three coaches and the Division Two coaches that are there at that event, and they're saying, tell me about such and such. Tell me about this kid. 
Oh, did you did you see such and such play? Like they have their ears there, so they know when you're struggling. Just because the D ones ain't there, don't mean they ain't listening, they ain't watching. Because I'm gonna tell you what, T.J. Kelly has got a lot of coaches' ears at the Division One level because he's at all the events, vast majority of them. And T.J. Kelly runs the Inside Prep Sports, so. He's at all the events, so why would you not take his service? Because he know he's gonna tell you the real. He's not gonna tell you something that that he heard from somebody else. He's gonna tell you, yeah, I'm sitting right here at court two watching the family play the Grand Rapids Storm, and Jarvis Walker is the best player on the floor. He'll be able to tell you that, and he wouldn't be lying either. So just because the D ones aren't there this weekend, don't mean they aren't listening. So uh, that's my travel hoops update for the week. This weekend, you got the brawl for the ball, which is probably the best tournament in the Midwest, even though Division One coaches can't be there. Division Two, Division Three, NAIA Juco will be all over that event, and it will be smart for them to do so. So I'm going to give you some updates about the brawl for ball this weekend coming up, and we talking hoops, baby. All right, so that was my travel basketball segment, kind of wrap up the elite travel hoops. EYBL, Nike Peace Jam, Adidas Summer Jam, and all the other AAU tournaments that were played this past weekend. This week, I decided not to jump off with the NBA, but we still got to talk about it. All right, the NBA is wrapping up the free agency talks. Most teams are are making their rosters set and making moves, and boy, did Houston make a move. We lost out on Russ, but they teamed up, and they got Russ to Houston. They sent him, they sent CP3 and a bunch of picks that probably won't be used, or if they are used, not used for something well down the line. And they got Westbrook in Houston. So now you got this talk of duos in the NBA. So now you got Harden and Westbrook. You got Kawhi and PG and Clipperland. You got AD and LeBron for the Lakers. Of course, you still got Steph Curry and Clay and Dame Dollar and CJ. So everybody's been talking about duos and who's the best duos. And I'm going to cover some duos, but not NBA duos. I'm going to cover some college duos, but that's the next segment. But uh, there, there's a lot more parity in the league now. I mean, trying to trying to guard two guys that can give you 30 a game and Harden and Russell Westbrook, two guys that can get triple doubles in the same game. And you'll see that this year. You'll see both guys get a 30-point triple-double, which is sounds sounds nuts, but they'll both do it. Same game. I don't know if they'll both do a 30-point triple-double, but I can see both of those guys getting triple-doubles in the same game. Now, will Russell Westbrook average a triple-double this season? I don't know. He might be close. I mean, Houston, they like to score, so he'll have the opportunity to get plenty of assists. But that iso ball is different, man. That iso ball is different, but if James Harden could get 10, 11 assists in the game, I know him and Russ can squeeze out 10 or 11 both by themselves. They just pass each other the ball. <laughs> and that might happen. You get two guys like that that can play isolation ball like that, and they just going to be trading the ball and, and stat patting and all of that, but they're going to be two guys that's going to be hard to guard. And you had AD in the interview this week. They talked to him about his Lakers roster. And he said he, he can put his roster up with anybody. And in a seven-game series, he likes their chances. And like I've said on this podcast, when you have the best players in the game, you got a chance. I mean, you got AD and LeBron. 
How much else do you need? You need a third piece after that? I don't think you do because you're getting a high level AD. You're getting an AD that's healthy, that's hungry. He's ready to prove people wrong, to put a stamp on his legacy. I think you're going to get a really, really good AD this season. And him and LeBron, and they talk about putting LeBron at the point guard. He's always been the point guard. He's always got the ball in his hands. Why label him a point guard now? So, I mean, that those two guys, AD and LeBron, that's going to be a tough matchup. I mean, the West is going to be very, very competitive. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, they're going to be very young. They're going to be there. The Utah Jazz is going to be there. The Blazers is going to be there. But you got the Lakers. You got Houston. I mean, you got a lot of good. You got the Clippers. I mean, the NBA season next year should be very, very, very exciting. It's a very exciting time for the NBA. You can talk hoops 24-7, 365, which is why I started this podcast. And you start to see a lot more basketball talk than you normally would. Normally, you wouldn't be talking about the NBA in July. You talk about it for a couple of days of free agency, but this is going to go on through uh, the summer and it's going to lead into August into summer leagues. I mean, summer camps is fall camps. And you, we're going to talk a lot of basketball as we should, because there's a lot of parity in the NBA this year and anybody can win it. I don't think an East team is going to be good enough to win at this team. I think the winner comes for the West like it has been since before last season. And it's going to be it's going to be some really good basketball coming out of the NBA. And you got these duos popping off. Uh, The Knicks still didn't get anybody. So now they're not talking about the Knicks, which is good. I'm tired of people talking about the Knicks. But the Lakers is in conversation now. Now you got AD and LeBron. And there's a lot of parity out west. I'm looking forward to seeing these matchups. I mean, L.A., the Clippers and the Lakers for Christmas booked that. They're going to put the Bucks against the Celtics. They're going to have some very interesting matchups, and I'm here for it all. But the team nobody's talking about is the Warriors. They're not talking about the Warriors. Not talking about Steph Curry anymore. Not talking about Klay Thompson, even though he's injured, coming back from an ACL injury. They're not talking about the Warriors anymore. Is the Warriors done? Is their dynasty finished? I don't think their dynasty is finished. Now, do I see them taking a year where... They try to find their their rings a little bit. Yeah, I could see them doing that, but they ain't done. They ain't done. They'll be back. Steph Curry, you're going to see a different Steph Curry this year, I think. You're going to see a different Steph Curry this year. He might might mess around the Avs 35 again and try to shoot for another MVP type of season. But they got to finish out that roster. I mean, you lose Iggy, you lose Quinn Cook, you lose Kevon Looney. I mean, they lost a lot. They lost a lot. No, I'm sorry. I think they signed Kevon Looney, but they lost Boogie. I mean, you know, but you still got Steph and Draymond. That's a duo. You still got enough, but they got to finish out that roster because they're not going to be able to just do it with Steph, Draymond, and a bunch of rookies. So I would like to see them add somebody in free agency. Where is Carmelo going to go? Why? How did so he get so washed so fast? I mean, you're adding guys in the league like Avery Bradley in L.A., but you can't sign Car- Carmelo. Can't get on a roster somewhere. I mean, he's, he's a mid twenties score for his career. He only had one season where he didn't average twenty, and he only played ten games. So I would like to see Carmelo Anthony get picked up, as he should. He's not washed, but there's there's something to that. I don't know if it's his agent. I don't know if it's the people around him. 
I don't know if GMs have just blackballed them out of the league, but Carmelo Anthony should be on an NBA roster next season. And if he isn't, some red flags should go up. Some red flags should go up if he's not on an NBA roster. Now, will he have to come off the bench? Probably, unless he goes to a really, really bad team. But you could put him on a contender and he can, he can get some minutes. He can be a valuable option on offense because you know he ain't going to play no D. But ain't nobody else playing defense in this league either. So he ain't alone. So I would like to see Carmelo Anthony on the roster. And I'm sick, man. I'm sick. We couldn't get Russell to the D. Oh, man. I had some, I had some shades for him. had some yays ready made up for him. We had the blade dance all queued up to get Russell to D. And it didn't happen, man. Had my hopes up for nothing, man. I was kind of looking forward to seeing Russell Westbrook in a Pistons jersey. But at the end of the day, I knew it wasn't going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Athletes like that, superstars, Detroit doesn't get superstars anymore. We get really good players. We don't get superstars. Is Blake Griffin a superstar? Not anymore. When he was super athletic, winning NBA dunk contests and jumping over cars and over Kias, when he was catching bodies every game, he was a stud. He was a superstar. Now he's just a really good NBA player, and he's going to do well for the Pistons. So, so I wonder what the Pistons going to do. They'll probably make the, the playoffs again, but they need another star. They need another high-level player. And don't be trying to bring in Carmelo now. If you really wanted Carmelo, you should have drafted him in 03, even though I don't think he would have fit with that roster. That's one of my uh, unpopular opinions. I'm glad the Pistons didn't draft Carmelo. Do you remember the Olympics in 04 when Carmelo and LeBron and Amari Stoudemire played with Larry Brown? That was awful. I think they finished third in the world championships that year. Larry Brown don't do well with young players. Man, Carmelo Anthony would have ran Larry Brown out of town and we never would have gotten Sheed. So would you rather trade Carmelo Anthony for an NBA championship? I wouldn't. I'll take Rasheed Wallace and the trade and the NBA title and the chance to win another one, which they should have done, over adding a high-level player like Carmelo Anthony. Sometimes you got to do something that's unpopular. At the time, drafting Darko was a risk. It was a risk. It was a huge risk. But I really don't think Carmelo would have been a good fit in Detroit for Larry Brown. You got to remember, Larry Brown was never good with young players. I remember that draft that year, and I remember them talking about picking Sean Livingston. And the thing about Larry Brown that year, I mean, I think it was the year the year next when Sean Livingston went in the draft, he said it himself that he struggles with rookie players. He would rather have veterans and older players and rookies, you know, he was cool on the rookies, especially a kid coming out of high school. So Larry Brown didn't fit with young players, and he wouldn't have fit with Carmelo Anthony. So stop blaming Joe D for not drafting Carmelo Anthony. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. I'll take my NBA title because guess what? In 04, I was down on East Jefferson going crazy like everybody else, blowing the horn. I think we stopped traffic. We was on, we was on Jefferson with it. We went crazy when the Pistons won it in 04. We was wildin'. I'm telling you, we was wildin'. That was some fun time. So I would much rather have an NBA championship than have Carmelo Anthony on the roster in 2004. So just a few 
uh, takes on the NBA free agency. I got a chance to watch some summer league basketball, so it's good to see guys make a name for themselves playing summer league in Vegas. Uh, it was a big show that they put on. And I've also been watching the big three. Now, the big three this year has been really, really good. I mean, it's been some good basketball. But guess what? You got some really good basketball players playing in the big three. So you got guys like Gilbert Arenas, Deshaun Stevenson, um, you know, Mahmoud still playing at 50-plus at years old. And I don't even know how old he is, but he's still playing in the big three. And I like it, man. I like it. I like what the big three is doing. Ice Cube, as he, he has developed a brand, and he has a brand that is going to work for some years now. They even got a TV deal. So the big three is, it's, it's much, I wouldn't say it's mo, uh, must-watch television, uh, but it's some good basketball to watch in the summer. So if you have the opportunity to watch the big three and you get to see some of these guys that could be in the league, I saw Dante Green, he looked pretty good. Uh, you see, you got, I like guys going at Rollin Hollins because he talk all that trash Half the time, he don't know what he's saying, and guys are going at him. They are going at him, and it's, the, and it's competitive. Guys are talking trash. Kenya Martin is a coach. He ain't really a coach. He's just screaming and talking trash to everybody. But the big three is a good look. So if you have the opportunity to watch the big three and watch some of the names of these guys that's going to work, give it a shot, man. It's a good look. So going to wrap up my NBA talk for this week. It's probably shorter than it normally is, but... We talking hoops, baby. You already know the deal. And I almost forgot to mention, I didn't give you my college basketball update for the week. We had some coaching changes happening at a couple places that I want to put my two bits, my two cents in. Uh, one of those situations was at Cleveland State. You had a gang of athletes that were from the Detroit area. Not a gang, you had three or four athletes from the Detroit area and from the Midwest on that roster, the assistant coach, Luke Gawkins from Saginaw, was the assistant coach. And the coach get let go. Uh, the players start transferring. And their whole roster changed. And I don't think they got any players on that roster because the head coach gets fired. Dennis Felton gets fired. And the coaches are no longer there. So in college basketball, when the head coach gets fired, that means everybody gets fired. And there's got to be a reason for that. Um, from my intel, the sources tell me that, that the head coach, Dennis Felton, didn't have a great relationship with the players, which is the reason why they wanted to transfer. But in this transfer era, it's kind of hard to keep kids, a lot of kids at the same school for multiple years. So once guys started transferring and then his relationships with the players had started to falter is when he, he fell into trouble. And Cleveland State is looking for a new head coach. So I, want, I wonder who gets that job. I know people are pushing for Sonny Johnson, high school coach in the Cleveland area, to get that job. I'm not quite sure who gets that job, but it's in July and looking for a head coach. That's never good. That's never good when you got to hire a coach in July, which is prime recruiting time and prime time to be out here and shoring up your roster for the next season. So not only do they have to go out and get some more players to replace the guys that transferred, they also have to hire a new coach. And when you're hiring a new coach in college basketball, it's not an easy process. You want to consider some alumni. You want to consider some assistants that might have done well at other schools. And it's not an easy process. So I'm, I'm, I got my eye on Cleveland State to see who they hire because it could be a situation where it can drastically change that program for three to four years, depending on who they hire. And a school like that in, in that league, the Horizon League,
it's it's a good job. People tell me that's a very good job. It's one of the top jobs in the league. It pays well. They got good facilities. They got a great location. So I wonder who they hire. I'm not going to Cleveland State. I ain't applying. I don't want to be on staff because my wife ain't moving outside of Detroit. And we've already talked about that and the things that I'm going to do coaching college basketball anytime soon are very slim to none, especially for next season. But I'm, I want to know who they're going to hire. That's going to be very interesting. We also had the head coach at Kalamazoo College, Jay Smith, just up and take a job with Jawan Howard. And when I say up and take a job, that means he didn't really let his staff know. I mean, let them know at the last minute. And, you know, we talked about it before when these head coaches don't need you anymore. And they just move on. That's kind of what's uh, the issue here was when he just he just upped and left. And now Kalamazoo College is looking for a new head coach in July. And like I just said, that's not an easy thing to do. The easiest thing to do if there are staff that's still around is to say, you know what, for a year, we're going to give our top assistant the interim tag. We're going to see how he does. And then we'll evaluate the situation after a year. But I'm going to say right here, right on this podcast, and I'm not going to say this just because he's a friend of the podcast and has been on the podcast. But if Kalamazoo College does not hire Kevin White, they are doing a disservice to that unit, that school, that college, and those kids that he recruited to go there because of him and the program that they have built to bring in some head coach to just clean the roster and start from scratch. Because I think Kalamazoo was on the brink of turning the corner. Uh, I think they won eight or nine games last year. I could be wrong, maybe even a little bit more than that. But they're a very competitive team. Teams in that league know that Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo College is a problem. They can get guys out of Detroit, out of the Frederick Douglass area. Pierre Brooks has sent a couple players his way, and he's going to send more. And I'm going to tell you like this, hire Kevin White. He was the guy recruiting all those players there. He's the guy you see on the road wearing the Kalamazoo College orange with the orange sneakers on. He knows all the head coaches. He knows all the coaches at the Brawl for Brawl. He knows all the coaches at AAU Circuit. He's, he's in every gym. He's working. He does the camps. Hire the guy. Give him a year because it's not like that league gives black coaches a chance anyway. They've only had two black coaches in the league's history. Okay, so it's time to change that narrative. That league needs some more black coaches as head coaches. And we're going to start with Kevin White being a head coach at Kalamazoo College. Now, I'm not saying give the guy three or four years. I'm saying giving him a year, give him a year, see what he does. And if he doesn't produce, then, hey, then you have to evaluate it then. But give the guy a year, give him the emerald tag. That's the easiest thing to do. He can still be on the road and recruit. But if you don't hire Kevin White, you're going to lose a lot of love in the state of Michigan. A lot of people are talking about Kalamazoo College for what these guys have built. It's unfortunate. Well, I won't say it's unfortunate, but glad for Jay Smith. He's going on to help Juwan Howard at the University of Michigan. Good for him. But what's good for Kalamazoo College right now is to hire Kevin White. All right. And I'm not going to Kalamazoo College. I already told Kevin. He was like, you got any plans of moving on the west side of state? I said, no, it ain't happening. My wife ain't moving. All right. And I'm not going to Kalamazoo College right now at this point in my coaching career. Would like to. Would like to work with you, but it's not going to happen. So the thing that Kalamazoo College needs to do, hire Kevin White. And I ain't saying that because that's my homie. We've worked together. I've seen him work. I've seen him recruit. I see him have relationships with kids. If this isn't the guy that's at the top of your list, then you should just crumble your list up and throw it away. Now, if you bring in a guy 
that's highly creditable, that has a very good coaching pass, then so be it. Then so be it. Then, you know, my guy's going to have to find another job. But for the time right now, when it's open to be the interim head coach at Kalamazoo College, just hire Kevin White and thank me later. All right. So Kalamazoo, do what's right. Give Kevin Kevin White the interim tag. Let him perform for a year and then slug it out after that. So that's just my hoops take uh, on college. A couple coaching changes going on. Uh, so, no, that's it, man. That's it. Kalamazoo College, hire Kevin White. You ain't got to do nothing else different. Hire the guy. Let him do it for a year. Then evaluate it afterwards. I'm Coach Cam, and that's my college take. So this week in this edition of the Coach Cam Flame 5 College Prospects, remember these are guys that I want you to pay attention to on the AAU circuit because uh, that's what's prevalent right now. This weekend you got the Brawl for Brawl Classic in Grand Rapids, and some of these guys will be playing in Grand Rapids. Some of these guys will be playing in the USA Basketball Tournament in Indianapolis. So if you're down there and you're in Grand Rapids and you have the opportunity to see one of these players, go check them out because they're going to be worth the ticket. I'm going to tell you that. The first guy on my radar got an offer from Youngstown State last week and an offer from Oakland this week. His name is Julian Lewis. He attends Ann Arbor Huron High School, 6'7 wing, goes, uh, plays for Reach Legends 16U, uh, really high-level prospect, has gained a lot of college interest over the last couple of weeks, and his upside is to the moon. I had an opportunity to recruit his older brother, Avery, and the coach again is his other older brother, Mike. And he's kind of a combination of the two. He's got the length and the height of his of his brother Avery. And he's got he's got the grit and the shot and, and ball skills as his brother Mike. And usually the younger brother always gets all of the tools. And he's usually the one that, you, that really blossoms. And both his other brothers were, were, were uh, college basketball players. One is one played four years at Wayne State, the other one played one year at Saginaw Valley and transferred to Wayne State. But uh, really good prospect, good kid. Uh, the thing that I like about Julian that I don't even think that he knows about his game is that he can get rebounds he's not supposed to get. He gets rebounds out of this area, and he's able to get them and then start the break. And I always like those wings and those forwards that can get it off the glass and go. You don't have to outlet it to a guard. I can send my shooters to the corner. And you can just get it off the rim and you can go. And Julian is one of these prospects that, you know, even though he's 6'7", he's not a big. When you, so when you go see him play and he's playing inside, I don't want you to think that he is a, a big player or play in the post. He's not. He's a forward. He's a wing forward. He's a 3-4 kind of guy. Um, his jump shot is getting there. So now he's starting to make the three ball now, which is the reason why I think D1s are starting to say, all right, this is the type of kid that we can offer. Because being 6'7 and playing the 3-4 position, if you play that position, you can't shoot. You're going to struggle in college. And you're going to struggle getting college offers if you can't shoot at that size. But he's got the size, he's got the length, and he definitely has the athleticism because he's finishing above the rim. Like I said, he gets rebounds he's not supposed to get. So Julian Lewis, that plays for Reach, you need to go see him this summer, especially in Grand Rapids, if you have the opportunity to great prospect next on my list for my flame five college prospects is a point guard simon wheeler sophomore plays for the family goes to ferndale high school very 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 crafty with the ball okay from end to end he's hard to stay in front of because he's really quick 
and he's athletic, even though his his size won't. You don't think he's athletic because his size. And let me just say this: when I when I say athletic, that doesn't just mean you can dunk. So athletic to me, as a coach, means that you move well side to side. You can you can finish at the rim, play at the rim. You can stay in front of guys. You can check. That's what being athletic is: being able to move, not just being able to dunk. Okay. So Simon Willer is athletic, even though he's a guard, little guard. He's an athletic little guard because he can get up in you. He can check when he wants to. Uh, that's one of the things about his game. He's going to have to really progress going forward. He's going to really have to take that edge defensively to check guards. Because in today's game, if, if you're a little guard, I'm going to give you a hint, guards. If you're a little guard and you can't check, you can't shoot, you're not going to get the offense that you want. And you're not going to get the interest that you want because that's the main thing a little guard can do. They have to be able to do that. There are a lot of coaches that don't even like little guards. I know some really good players that are little guards. All right, there are a lot of coaches right now that don't like little guards. So you have to you have to be you have to excel at those things. You got to excel at guarding the ball. You got to excel at being able to take care of the ball. And Simon Willer is one of the guards. He's really sure with the basketball. Not a whole lot of turnovers, but he's crafty. He's crafty. He's kind of like one of those N1 guys we used to play against back in the day that you just you can't stay in front of. Uh, but he can make plays for other players, and that's what I like about his game. Because on that Ferndale team, he makes John Short, Jayshon Moore better. He makes Colin Ghoston better. He's really good with the ball screen. Would like to see his jump shot stretched beyond the three, not just being able to make a three consistently, but be able to stretch it beyond a three. Because the college line is moving back. So you're going to be able, if the high school line was comparable to the college line, it's no longer that. So guys are really going to be able to have to shoot the ball. I like his jump shot. The mid-range game is where he's good at. So coming off a ball screen, being able to shoot the floater, being able to pull up, he's really good in those situations. And Simon Willer is a guard. I know Ryan, uh, Ryan Wallace has been picking up a lot of steam college-wise. Simon Willer is the next guard up. You need to go see Simon Willer. Plays for the family 16U team and is a really high-level player. Number three on my list. Now, I don't want you guys to think that I only talk about the family guys and I only talk about the reach guys. I talk about prospects. And my eyes see prospects. I don't see jersey names and I don't see schools. So I would, I would like to branch off into some guys that, that you might not have heard of in the, in the northern part of the state, in the southern part of the state, and on the western part of the state. And this next kid was a freshman this past year. He's a sophomore now. His name is Kyler Vanderjack. He's on the west side of the state. I'm telling you right now, put this kid's name on your radar, okay? Put him on your radar right now before he blows up crazy and you're like, oh, wow, I should have got on him when I had the chance to because he is a, his upside is through the moon, okay? He's a 6'3 guard. He's probably the best shooter in this class. I'm telling you right now, he's probably the best shooter in this class. He's already 6'3", plays football, really good size, and he's, he's one of the best shooters in this class. And he's not just a shooter. He's a playmaking guard. He's got like a C.J. McCollum type game. Like he can get to the rim. He can pull up on you. He, he's really good at making the three. Uh, they played in the UAA finals uh, for the Grand Rapids Storm. Played 15 and under because he's a 2022 kid. And, I mean, he lit it up. I mean, we made seven or eight threes in that finals game. 
and the other coach from the other team was going crazy. Like, who is this kid? And why y'all keep leaving him open? So Kyler Vanderjack, west side of the state, goes to Northview High School, plays for the Grand Rapids Storm, uh, 15 and under, I believe, 15 under, or sitting under, they might have moved him up because he played so well. Go see him this weekend. Go see him this weekend. And I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't prove you wrong. Prove me wrong if he ain't a high-level prospect. But he's one of those guys He's not very flashy. So, you know, you watch him play, you're going to be like, okay, he's a solid player. And then you go look at the box score. He got 20 points, nine rebounds, and six assists. Like, he's just very efficient. My team played him. He was playing for Legacy a couple weekends ago. My team played him. And we fouled him about seven or eight times in the act. And he made every single free throw. I think he went 15 for 15 from the free throw line. And I'm not kidding you. This kid can really shoot the ball. I know a shooter when I see one. Uh, he's got like a Paul Pierce kind of release. But it's money. It's leaving his hand. It's pretty. And it's money. So Kyler Vanderjack, Northview High School, plays for Grand Rapids Storm now. Go see this kid play. And I'm telling you. You are going to like what you see, especially if you're a college basketball coach. Put this guy on your radar. I saw him at the Grand Valley uh, Elite Camp. He was really good there. Really good prospect. He's one of those kids. He's going to be picking up offers soon. He's just a sophomore, so he's got three more years of basketball to play in high school. But he's going to be picking up offers soon because if, if, he, if, if it's nine better sophomores better than him, tell me the nine. Now, I know we, we talked about Ty Rogers and Monty Bates and Guys like that, it ain't seven more that's better than this kid. This kid can play. So fourth on my list, so college pro, the Flame Five college prospects. And shout out to the college coach that listen to this podcast. You know, hopefully I'm giving you some names that you're probably not used to. And if you are, shouts out to you. But the next name that's on my list is Orlando Lovejoy. Plays at Summit Academy. We talked about Summit Academy last week. That's where the tournament, the July tune-up tournament was held. And Orlando Lovejoy is really intriguing. He's intriguing because he's one of those silent killers. He don't talk a lot of trash. He, he, you know, he's very serious. He's very locked in. And as a guard, as, as a point guard, he, he just gets it. He gets it. He knows how to make plays, makes plays for others. But he's just a dog. I mean, he's just a flat-out dog. So if you just need a guard, he plays for Bates Fundamentals. Uh, 15U, I believe. Uh, he's just a dog. So if you just need one of those guys that at the end of the game can take care of the ball and just get you a bucket when you need a bucket, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. He's only he's like six feet, maybe six one. Uh, he's starting to get some strength in his body, which is what I like. But you can't stay in front of him. You cannot stay in front of this kid. He's just a dog. He's one of those guys that if he wants to get a layup, he's getting a layup. If he wants to pull up for three, he's getting a three. And he might make both. And he's probably going to make both. But just a really, 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 really aggressive, locked-in player. And that's what I like about him. When you watch his highlights and you watch some of his film, he's just locked in. He's locked in offensively. He's locked in defensively. Plays for Mark White, so you know he's being coached every day in practice in high school. So make sure you go see base fundamentals. Now, I know they probably won't be in Grand Rapids. They don't play in a lot of Michigan events. I wish they would play more events in Michigan so we can watch the other guys not name a Mighty Bates on his team. But Orlando Lovejoy is a guard that you need to go see play ASAP.
ASAP as soon as possible because if if you're a college coach and Orlando Lovejoy ain't in one of your lists, then you don't need a guard. If you need a guard and Simon Willer and Orlando Lovejoy are not on your list, I'm, I'm really going to be judging what you do. And they're the type of kids that if you recruit them now, you can get them. Orlando Lovejoy is one of those kids, man. He's really good, really high level. Like I said, he's athletic with the ball, can't stay in front. And I'm telling you, he's got a bright future ahead of him. So make sure you go check out Orlando Lovejoy. Summit Academy, plays with base fundamentals. Really good player. Lock, he's locked in, man. If you want to see a guard that's locked in, that can check and just get it done, he's that kid. The last player I'll mention on my College 5 flame prospects, and like I said, I'm not always going to talk about Division One players. Kid is named Travis Reese, plays at West Bloomfield High School, 6'3 wing, maybe 6'4, and he plays on my AAU team. And sometimes I'm going to use this platform to talk about kids that I know personally, kids that I have coached. And I'm going to tell you like this, if you coach in the GLIAC and Travis Reese is not on your roster to go see this weekend, you are doing yourself a disjustice. Go see this kid play. He's a junior, class of 2021, and he's gotten better every week. Okay, so his jump shot is solid. The best part of this game is he's aggressive attacking the rim. And he's just one of those, those guys that he's a four. He's a stretch four. And in, in the kind of offense that you like to play, so we, you know, I read a lot of horn sets, a lot of 1-4 horn sets, Michigan State kind of basketball, where running guards off a of gator action, gator action is over-under, where you see a guard going off the top of a 1-4 and another guard going underneath. Uh, he's really good in, in that aspect because I can give it to him and he can play the two-man game. He can attack the rim. Uh, Travis Reese, West Bloomfield, I'm telling you, go see him. Plays for Reach, we play this weekend. The Grand Rapids Storm Classic. I think he can't play Friday, but he'll be playing Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the, but the thing I like about Travis and his game is you can see that he's getting better. You can see that, okay, he might not be a polished college player right now, but he's better than he was in the spring. And that's what you need for some of these guys. When, when, when you see him in the spring, you see him in May, and you go see him in June, and you go see him in July, you want to know, are they a better basketball player? Are they learning the game? Are they getting better? And he's getting better. He's another one of those guys that can get it off the glass and go, not necessarily have to uh, outlet it to a guard every time he gets a rebound. But he's very aggressive attacking the glass. Probably one of my better players outside of Blake Griffin that's on my team. And I think he'd be a really, really good GLIAC player. And not to say that GLIAC is not a, a, a great conference because it's a great conference. But I think his game fits for that conference. Now, could he eventually, he plays football too, so could he eventually, you know, get a football offer? Could he eventually get a low major basketball offer in a year or so? Very possible. But I think his best fit is in the GLIAC. But by the way he plays, guys in the GLIAC that are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", and you can play him at a three, you can play him at a four, he can shoot, he can tag the basket. I mean, those are guys that it's hard to guard. You give it to him in the post, he can take advantage of an undersized guard. And I do that a lot, especially on out-of-bounds plays. He's really good at that. So I think he's a great fit for the GLIAC. So GLIAC coaches, listen, go see Travis Reese. If you don't see him on my team, go to West Bloomfield. Go out there and watch West Bloomfield and the OAA and watch Travis Reese play. He should be. If you haven't invited him to your prospect camp for August, 
If you need, if you need his email, hit me up. I got all this information. But he definitely should be on your radar because if I was a GLIAC coach right now, he would be on mine. All right, so that was my Flame 5 college prospects. Hopefully you guys get a chance to go watch those guys play this weekend and going forward. Just some, some names to be looking out for, for people that don't normally follow high school basketball or even travel basketball. Uh, need some, some names to, to get caught up with who are the guys coming up that you should be watching. And the guys that I, that I mentioned on this podcast are definitely prospects you need to be watching. So my new segment that I'm breaking out this week out of my Flame 5 is my Flame 5 college duos. And these are college duos that I grew up watching or have watched since I've been coaching and playing. And it's the Michigan edition. So I'm only missioning college duos that played at a Michigan University Division I, Division II, D3, NAIA, or JUCO. Okay. So the first duo I'll start off with, probably my favorite duo of all time when it comes to college basketball, is Rashad Phillips and Willie Green. Detroit Mercy. Uh, 2001 and 2002, that era of basketball for Detroit Titans was on fire. I mean, if you went to a Titans game in that era, it was packed every year. I think they led the league in attendance for about three or four or five years straight. And they had some great players come out of the Titans program under the realm of the late of not the late, but under the realm of Perry Watson, P-Dub, as we like to call him. But Rashad Phillips is easily the best guard I have ever seen. Now, I know he does his analyst stuff, and I know he's got his 2319 sports talk that he's doing. But if you had the opportunity to watch Rashad Phillips in college or watch Rashad Phillips in high school at Ferndale, he was the best guard I've ever seen. And it's not a question, okay? He is number one. He scored 2,300 points at Detroit Mercy, all-time leading scorer, and there was nothing that you could do about it. He was the best player in the country. Maybe if he didn't have the braids, they wouldn't have compared him to Iverson. They said he was Iverson at the time, and Iverson didn't have the greatest rep. But I'm telling you, Rashad Phillips is the best guard I've ever seen. He shot it better than everybody. He had the cold crossover that he was going by you. He had the hezzy going. And he was unguardable. He averaged 25 a game in college. And the guy next to him that he groomed and was able to make into a professional player was Willie Green. And when all the focus and all the attention came and was, was surrounded about Rashad Phillips, you kind of forgot about this guy wearing number 33 on the wing that was 6'4", 220 pounds, and could jump out the gym and, and shoot the three better than all the guys his size. I mean, Willie Green, if you go and look back at Willie Green's highlights at Detroit Mercy, he was living above the rim. I mean, the lobs that Rashad used to throw to Willie were just outstanding. You couldn't guard these two guys. And there are other duos that I could have picked in the Detroit Mercy era. But I'm, I'm, I'm picking two guys that I know personally, two great guys, two guys that really worked on their game and they worked to get there. I personally would watch Willie Green work out with Kevin Mondro, the assistant at Callahan Hall, because I used to just live up there and watch how these guys move and worked on their games. It wasn't by mistake that these guys were great, that these guys had the opportunity to play in the NBA and play overseas and be some of the best guards ever because they worked their tails off. Okay, I have, a, I have a drill called the Willie Green drill. And the reason why I called it the Willie Green drill, because I used to watch him do it every summer. 
and it's a great drill. But Willie Green, when college scouts would come, I mean, I'm sorry, when NBA scouts would come and watch Rashad, they would leave and talk about Willie Green. Like, man, I know this little guard is good, but who is that wing, that number 33 guy out of Detroit Cooley? Who is that guy? He needs to be on our roster. And the, the, the duo together, these two guys, made it able for to Rashad to be a hot name in the game, for Willie to get an opportunity to get drafted second round and play with Allen Iverson and the Philadelphia Sixers for about seven or eight seasons, and who is now assistant coach at uh, the Phoenix Suns and has won three NBA titles with the Warriors as an assistant coach. He's a great basketball mind, great basketball player, but in this era, these two guys were damn near unguardable. Second on my list, all right? Second on my list, Sean Respert and Eric Snow out of Michigan State. I want to say it's 1995. I mean, Sean Respert, okay, was probably like a 6'2 guard, undersized two. When I'm when you talk about shooters, and I talk about shooters a lot, he's probably one of the better shooters I've seen. And for a guy like Eric Snow to make it to the league and, and couldn't shoot at all, he was the Rondo before Rondo, he couldn't shoot at all. He couldn't make a three, but the three-point game wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So guys could be in the league and not have a three-point game to his three-point shot game. And Eric Snow was like that, but he was an absolute pit bull on defense. All right, The opposing guard that he guarded, he shut him down. I don't care who it was. He shut him down. And he was able to take that defense and that point guard mentality to the NBA. But Sean Respert... You talk about a guy averaged 23 a game at Michigan State, shot over 40% from three in multiple seasons. High-level shooters, one of the best shooters the state of Michigan has seen. And this duo was the reason why Michigan State was really relevant in the mid-'90s because they had some of the best guards in the league. Talk about two pros. Now, Sean Resberg couldn't transfer his game to the NBA because he had health issues and things of that sort. And... At the time, he was a 6'2 shooting guard. And they were transitioning into bigger guards, especially that played the two. So during this time frame, guys that were 6'2", 6'3", were point guards. And they were transitioning into the two guard, being the guy that was 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and that was long. And he just really couldn't guard those guys. So he didn't really have the pro career. But his college career at Michigan State, he'll probably go down as probably one of the top 10 players to ever come out of Michigan State because he was just that high level of a shooter. Third on my list. Now, when I like, like I said, when I talk about these duos, I'm not going to talk about the guys that you think I'm going to talk about all the time. Sometimes I'm going to sprinkle in some D2 guys and sprinkle in some names that you might know or might not know. Third on my list is Drew Cushenberry and Zach Hankins. Some of you guys are like, who, who is that? I'm going to tell you exactly who they are. All right. 2017 Fair State Bulldogs win the national championship division two. The first time in ever a D2 from the GLIAC to win a national championship in basketball. The first time a D2 from the school, the state of Michigan wins, wins a national championship. So I have to give respect to the Fair State Bulldogs, even though. Uh, I was able to coach against these guys, so I got a little bit more intel than most. But Drew Cushenberry was a 6'5 guard, and he, he was a Division One guard. He just happened to play at Fair State. And, I mean, Zach Hankins right now, he just got finished playing in the summer league, 
and played at Xavier, and I think he was he was ten re I think he was nine points and and six or seven rebounds a game, coming from a Division two after being the D two National Player of the Year after winning the national title. I mean these two, and they had other pieces on their team. Okay, they had about four or five Division one players. Don't get it mixed up. All right, they had a very 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 good team. They brought Mister Basketball of the state of Michigan off the bench. Okay, that's how good this team was. This team was so good that they brought a guy that was the best high school player in Michigan off the bench. And boy, well, he's, was he's a bucket. I'm talking about Deshaun Thrower. And if you don't know, go to the Money Am Pro-Am and go check him out. But Drew Cushenberry and Zach Hankins, this combo of, I mean, Zach Hankins was 6'11". He was long. He led the, the, the league and blocked shots and he changed the game inside. He touched it inside. He could score it. He could stretch it a little bit with his jump shot. And, I mean, these two guys were really good, and they were the reason why Ferris State won a national title. So I had to mention that. Whenever you win a national title at a D2, you, you got to be mentioned. I'm sorry, you do. Number four on my list, two Detroit boys, Seven Mile Ryan, all right, Deshaun Sims and Manny Harris. Michigan 2007, I believe, was the year. And you had two guys that were averaging double figures and playing for Michigan, both of them from Detroit. Sean Sims played at Pershing. Manny Harris played at Redford. The reason why I've mentioned these two guys, because these were they started the trend of Michigan turning the corner. From Michigan going to being from a team that was on probation, that had some roster issues, some issues of giving some high-level players, especially from the city of Detroit. Uh, they probably they, they came a little late on getting some guys from Detroit, but they started the trend of them getting some more high-level players. And Manny Harris, 6'6", wing, even though he was skinny, he was a bucket, man. Manny Harris was a bucket. He was a flat-out pit bull at Detroit Redford. Went to the state championship game. They lost to Draymond Green in the finals. And it was just him and four, I wouldn't say four scrubs, but I mean, it was just him and four other guys. He took them all the way to the state finals and, and, and scored 50 multiple occasions. I saw one occasion was the easiest 50-point high school game I've ever seen. And Deshaun Sims was 6'8". He probably would, he was, in today's game, he would be a traditional stretch four. A guy that could put it on the floor. You know, he's a guy like Wilson Chandler. I mean, he was Wilson Chandler before Wilson Chandler. Like, he would have that kind of impact in the league if he had the opportunity uh, being at the top of his game right now. But Deshaun Sims, man, I mean, he could make a three. He could he could bot, big body. You put a smaller forward on him, he could put him in the post. He's athletic. He was finishing at the rim. I mean, both these guys average in the mid-teens. Uh, Manny Harris was close to 20 a game for a few seasons at Michigan, and he still should be playing in the NBA to this day. I'm not sure what kind of management he had or the people around him and why he didn't play in the NBA as long as he should have, but he was definitely a professional player, and Manny Harris will, will probably go down as one of the better wings to come out of the state of Michigan. All right, he just don't get the credit because he's a city guy. All right, but Manny Harris and Deshaun Sims, that duel was outstanding. And to close out my list, we're going back to the mid-90s, and we're going to talk about the Eastern Michigan Eagles, Derek Dow, and Earl Boykins. If you don't remember this combo, these two guys, Eastern Michigan used to be a powerhouse in the MAC. In the mid-90s, they went to the tournament twice. They went to the second round, I want, I want to believe, once or twice, and they beat Duke. Well, they did that because they had one of the better guards in the game. Earl Boykins wasn't but 5'6", five, 5'7", five, tops, 
when, when I tell you he was an absolute blur, you couldn't stay in front of him. And he had the opportunity to play in the NBA. He played about 10 or 11 years in the NBA, and he was solid in the NBA. All right, so that lets you know what kind of guard this guy was. I mean, I talk about Rashad Phillips. Earl Boykins is, is close. He, he ain't passing him, but he's close. All right, I mean, he was a straight buck. You talk about two guys in college at the MAC, Division I level, top five in scoring. And the whole nation, I want to say they went a period. I'm not sure if it was a whole season or not. I got to go back and check the stats. But they were one, two, and three, one, two, or three, and leading the nation in scoring. 23, 24, 22 a game. Do you guys understand how hard it is to score 20 points in a college basketball game? That is not easy to do. Because in college, everybody has your stats. They have all of your games on film. They know all of your tendencies. And they get a chance to have five scout guys mimic exactly what you're going to do. So when you see them, you know their game. You know exactly what they're going to do. But you couldn't stop either one of them. And I could easily name Brian Tolbert in this. this it really should be a trio. But Brian Tobert was right there, too. So I wanted to mention Brian Tobert. If you don't know who Brian Tobert was, look him up. The Tobert brothers was phenomenal. OK, but these two guys, Earl Boykins and Derek Dow, Derek Dow came out of Detroit, Detroit Cast Tech, one of the better players to ever come out of Detroit Cast Tech, a 6'5 shooter. And he could just shoot it with the best of them. So I told you, I know shooters. I pay attention to shooters because I'm a shooter. So Derek Dow was probably one of the best shooters come out of the PSL. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to put a step on that. And I know guys going to go back to the 80s and mention some names. I get it, but Derek Dial is right up there. He had a chance to play in the NBA for the Spurs and just couldn't get along with Pop. And the next thing you know, he was out of the league. But Errol Boykins and Derek Dial were two guys that you could not stop. So as we move this season to the NBA and we start talking about duos, I wanted to talk about duos, but I didn't want to do the NBA duos. I want to give you some college duos that I like and I enjoyed, and going forward, I'm going to give you some more guys that I like playing because we talking hoops, baby. You already know what it is. That's it. That's all, folks. I'm wrapping up this week, episode 13, so fresh and so clean. I apologize it's not on Tuesday, but if you understood my world right now, you'll get it. I mean, I've been... It's been crazy, to say the least. It's been crazy. And to still be able to give you guys this platform, something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy sitting in my car, sweating out, giving you my basketball takes and giving you guys to watch and giving my insight of some mid-90s players that we forgot about. Um, I really enjoy doing this. I really appreciate you guys listening and continue to listen every week. Keep growing the brand because we going to talk hoops 24-7. 365 all day all week you already know what it is it's your coach that knows hoops the most coach cam and i'm signing off i holla hey bali buckle up for this ride that's what you need to do because this is coach cam and we talking hoops kid kid we talking hoops